to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hi there, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. Thank you for tuning in. This one is episode 173, number 173. I am Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to the ever-evolving world of retail. I'm a coach, a consultant and a retail transformation specialist and I work with retailers to help them define their ideal operating model and deliver the changes and the transformations they need to become more profitable and more relevant. And one of the big themes and trends in the world of retail transformation is, of course, omnichannel. It's not a new thing, but it still continues to be a major focus for many retailers. But what's really fantastic is now we're starting to see some brilliant examples of companies really delivering shopping experiences and customer journeys that go across all of the channels. And these different ways of shopping allow customers to choose how and when and where they browse and make purchases. It's a very exciting time, but it is still a huge challenge for many retailers, of course. And actually part of that challenge is deciding what those different customer journeys, what those omni-channel shopping experiences are. How should you set it up? What role do the different channels play? What role do colleagues play? And how on earth do you make it the proverbial seamless omnichannel experience that is the holy grail of this area? Well, to help us dive deeper, I'm very excited to introduce you to our guest today, Sarah Friswell. Sarah is the CEO of Red Ant, who, if you're not familiar, are a tech company. They have a product, Retail OS, that embeds and delivers smarter stores and channels for retail operating models for colleagues and for customers. And really they essentially unify all of the different tools and content and pieces of data and insight across the business to provide a truly omnichannel customer experience in store, at home, on the go, and everything in between, right? Sarah began her career in marketing and moved into account management where she found herself in the emerging digital landscape in Dubai leading projects for brands like IBM and Volvo. But when she joined Red Ant, she applied this extensive experience of technology and business to define and drive towards the great and pioneering solutions that they have now and help companies like beauty brand Charlotte Tilbury and homeware retailer Furniture Village to really accelerate their omnichannel goals and vision. And if you'd like to find out more and get some great tangible examples of what this omni-channel shopping experience can look like, then I encourage you wholeheartedly to head over to the show notes page today at obandco.uk slash 173, where you'll find some fantastic examples and videos to show what this looks like in real life. So that's obandco.uk slash 173. And of course, if you haven't already, do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing whilst you're over there to help keep your finger firmly on the pulse of the ever-evolving world of retail. So without further ado, here is my great conversation with Sarah Friswell of Red Ant. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
very warm welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. How are you, Sarah? Yeah, great. It's a lovely bright day outside. We're excited to chat some more about Omnichannel today. Yes, absolutely. So Omnichannel has, of course, been a big trend for a number of years now. Of course, accelerated even more by the pandemic. But often the term Omnichannel is misunderstood. It's thrown around, perhaps without too much meaning. So I'd love to hear your perspective, Sarah. What does Omnichannel shopping look like and feel like from your perspective? I think that's a really good question around the definition. And I think it's a really good place to start with your own team as a retailer and any of the partners you're interacting with. For me, Omnichannel isn't about having all the channels, which I think sometimes it can feel like a tick box exercise. Have we got, you know, the latest element of video calling or whatever we need to do, but it's really about how do we make sure that it is a joined up ecosystem. Yes. And and if I could write the the, the, dictionary definition of that, that's what it would be. It's really the joined up part, I think is the key rather than just turning everything on. And because ultimately then it, it doesn't increase any of the experience factors for the customers, if yes, they can access you by loads of different channels, but they don't talk to each other. I think that's a really important point. It's not, like you say, a tick box exercise of do everything. It's it's focusing on what, what's most important to your customers. Help give some ideas of that joined up nature of Omnichannel. Help, help make it tangible for us, please, Sarah. Yeah, of course. So a really common example is the ability to log into your e-commerce account and to be talking to someone in store. And a bad experience is that there's no joined up element of that. A recent client that we've spoken quite a lot about is uh, Furniture Village and they've, on the journey we've been with them, they've worked really hard to make sure that joined up journey of, you know, the customer information that, that they hold from that very first interaction is then all brought together in that single customer view held in in that instance in a clienteling app so that you can build that journey, build the sale, reducing a sale down from 25 minutes to five minutes because all that information is at the sales associate's fingertips rather than that frustration that you feel, well, I came in two weeks ago and sat on that sofa and like I'm just starting the whole conversation again. So it is that element of taking all that insight you have on that person and and bringing it together on one person. I think that also increases how people feel about their roles within a, you know, a store because you're you're making it easy for even some of the best memory in the world. (laughs) If there's multiple customers coming in, like you, you do see it where they're just like, I know that person's name, they come in. So often, especially with quite frequent purchases in um, fragrance yes. and beauty, but I think not everyone works like that. And also, they might have sat on five sofas that day. So, really help them to bring that information to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm sure we've all experienced it, perhaps on both sides of the conversation. That you know, oh, I've already told you, the brand, yeah. the retailer, all of this information already. Yeah. Why do we have to sit and go through it again? And yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the Furniture Village example because, well, I mean, they deployed your Red Ant solution and it's they're just some fantastic examples of how they are blending that customer journey across the different channels and really intentionally looking 
what each point of the purchase journey and decision journey is happening where and how and making sure that the customer's got what they need at the relevant time. It's some super slick work for sure. Thank you. Yeah, I think it is really important not to just silo that level of customer service only in the luxury bracket, like where there's a considered purchase and it might not be, you know, it might take a, a number of different visits to make that happen. The power you can create from that data and giving them there at their fingertips really does make a difference. Absolutely. And I think that's, again, it's a really important point for everyone to be considering here. What omnichannel means for one company is not necessarily what it means for all companies because that customer journey is different. Some, you know, a, a grocery, you're not going to need that sort of long-term engagement over buying a, a tin of beans. But for a bigger purchase, it's not a one-time quick decision. So you do need to think about how does that work and what does that mean for, for my customers and also for, for the colleagues as well, as you rightfully pointed out. So Sarah, I'd love to ask more about how do you go about designing an omni-channel shopping journey? And I suppose, where, where do we start with all of this? Yeah, so I, I think what's really important, and it was, we, sort, we sort of touched on it slightly earlier, is about that vision setting. Mm. I think you can walk into these, you know, transformation projects or, you know, North Star of what you want to do. But actually, if you went round the room and ask the people who, you know, responsible at that point, well, what does this project mean to you and what do you expect? <laughs> you could, I think, in some situations get 10 different, like, outcomes. So I think really being clear about the why, I think, mm. you know, whether that's a whiteboarding session or, like, everyone putting their post-it notes on, on, you know, again, it might be virtual at the moment, but, you know, on a, a, a virtual whiteboard and really nailing together why you're doing this because I think sometimes there's a really small group of people who really understand why they're doing it but it doesn't always cascade down and where that also is not just about that you know designing the journey where that's really crucial is if you haven't really defined why you're doing this when it comes to adoption really with the most important people in the process really with the sales associates if they don't understand why, or you haven't, that hasn't been part of your, you know, internal elevator pitch, they <laughs> don't really know why they're using it. Like you, there's training and you're going through the motions, but if you can really tap into, you know, there's two sides, obviously, isn't there? Why this really is valuable for the customer, but why it's valuable to you as well as the store associate. Mm. And it's so easy to bypass that. So I think, you know, that's, that's, that's the starting point that lots of us, you know, you're, you're so excited about getting started, but it's almost that pause moment that you need. You have your icebreaker at the start of the session and really spending a good couple of hours and iterations of that about why you're doing it. I, th I think that's so true. And I can definitely reflect on some examples where that clarity around the room yeah. absolutely is there. And it's, it's an important part, A, to make sure obviously everyone is on the same page and everyone has the same set of expectations and no one's going to be overly disappointed at the end, right? Yeah. But it's also getting everyone working towards the same direction allows you to take those different viewpoints. A, a colleague experience, for example, is a really important factor, of course. But how does that fit in alongside the customer experience? Really good point to make, for sure. Mm. And I think also, 
omnichannel lays that out for you as a concept, but you have to work understanding that the consumer has choices about which channels they interact with. Mm. So I think that's part of the definition as well, to be really clear that, you know, as the sales associate, your number one aim is, you know, what's happening in the store, but actually that awareness that what happens in that journey before they get to the store is really important because this has been accelerated by the pandemic. People might want to purchase and have quite a frag, like in different ways and have quite a fragmented way about going about that. And if Mm. you, if you, I think if you still take quite a linear journey as standard, then you might start to be surprised about the type of feedback you're getting in terms of, or, you know, or actually talking to customers, like how like potentially like zigzaggy that could be in terms of getting to that, to that approach. So I think it's having a real intimate understanding, especially in 2022 of behaviors. It's not Mm. one journey. It is multiple journeys. It is at different times of days. And I think sometimes, you know, the question around how do you plan it, you again can get caught up in, you know, you might have four key journeys, but, and they're fairly, let's say vanilla, but I think you want to keep breaking that journey or looking at different entry points and really, really breaking down. Of course, you've got your ideal journey, but what are the other ways that they could come in and what are the, le- you know, time periods between that? So I think personas and user journeys sometimes are, you know, felt like you're going through the motion doing it. But I think in understanding omnichannel and clienteling, you really have to interrogate what people are looking for these days. And it's really interesting. You you remind me so much in terms of what you're saying there of the conversation I had a couple of episodes ago with Howard Tierski, where we were talking about the power of laying out customer avatars and how that can define your transformation. So another great episode to go and listen to there. But I'd just like to rewind to just what you were saying about it's not a linear journey anymore. Rewind to a few years ago, you'd have that classic customer journey as they go through, then this stage, then that stage. What does a customer journey that is not linear, that is a choose your own adventure style customer journey, what does it physically look like nowadays? What are the best examples you've seen? Yeah, so I think a good example is that I think it applies to a different vertical types, but that you see a lot with like a high value purchase mm. where it is fairly tangible. You know, you do want to sit on that sofa or drive that car. There's a lot of research that goes on beforehand that has been definitely a factor for as long as you know, our product has existed. So the last eight years, that sort of the need for the product came from the fact that often people were able to glean more information online than they were from the sales associates. So I think there's that appreciation that a lot of the time customers are coming in highly knowledgeable about what they want to buy. I probably typically you would have drawn the journey out to then, oh, this results in a sale. But I think what tends to happen more and more is that there will be some interaction with the product and the sales associates and that purchase might happen later on which Mm -hmm. typically would happen but now a lot of the time that happens online 
And what's really key for the store associate is that they're able to receive that attribution for that. So, you know, it, previously there was a sort of a bit of a rub around from the store associates about online. It was almost like their nemesis because yeah. not, not every brand works on commission, but, you know, quite a few do if you work in that sales space. And if you've put all that hard work in, how do you make sure that that gains more value in the sale rather than they sort of, oh, they're, they're definitely going to go online, therefore, like, <laughs> it's not that element. And then that sounds quite negative, but I think it, it's a natural feeling if you're putting all the time in. So that attribution, there's also the element that there might be some sort of consultation that happens. So you might, before buying online, there might be some sort of virtual consultation where you would need some further advice about material or shades in terms of makeup etc so it definitely is a lot more fragmented it might still happen in a really short space of time but I think there's not the assumption that all conversation or transaction have to happen in the store these days and I think that's a really important gauge that I'm, I'm sure people have experienced like I say on both both sides of the conversation and that whole bonus and commission structure is definitely a big conversation that I know some retailers still have got to, to face into that particular challenge, but it does open up really good viewpoints around actually how do you set up pay and reward and benefits in this sort of omni-channel world where a sale is not as it was all focused on the, the hard sale. I want to sell it to you right here, right now, close the deal, get my name on the commission check, so to speak. But it is more of a team game and yeah. increasingly customers are seeing a brand as an individual rather than just the sales person in front of you, I suppose. Yeah. And I think that's where a, a client book, you know, that digital version of the little black book really comes into its own because that attribution can happen digitally. So it's not just about, as you say, they, there might be like a team helping to make it happen rather than that. This is my customer. I sell to them. They come in and buy a new product every three years. And, and, you know, that also have its value if that's how your team's structured, because with the ability of the client book, you know, this person likes to change their car, change their sofa, upgrade what they're doing every three years. Tools can help you do that so that you're ahead mm. of that and you're calling them back in. And I think, of course, there's always been an element of a CRM to do that. But having the information readily available around personal preferences and how that all works together re really does help elevate the experience for the customer as well. And I suppose we're starting to think more about the processes and the ways of working that sit in the business to be able to realise this omni-channel customer journey. What, what are some of the other considerations we need to be thinking about from an operating model perspective? We've obviously touched on things like benefits and commissions, et cetera, beginning to touch on tools to do the job. What, what other factors must we think about? Yeah, I think it's very easy to think about the process is just a interaction between a customer and the sales associate. And it's all yeah. outward facing on a theatre, you know, in a stage of the store. But actually <laughs> what's really important is to think about that whole ecosystem. So as Red Ant, we act as an orchestration layer. So we're bringing all the different integrators together. And I think it's really important to, to draw out your ecosystem, but not just to make it about 
what happens in that transaction or what happens commercially. But what does that mean to all the different systems that are there? I think it's very easy to be siloed in a project because most people probably have about four other partners in a sort of transformation project Mm. and the client is the center of that. But the best projects I've seen really are around where you become one team and the client Mm. is obviously the linchpin of that. But there's an open conversation, you know, between the e-com team, the appointments booking, and, and you're bringing that together and on the journey together. And it, it does sound sort of, you know, unlikely to happen. But I think if you're, you're again, in the vision setting, if you're all clear why you're there and the roles you're playing, that really helps to define what also happens with the customer, but what you're all doing to you know, in terms of the back end and the behind the scenes to get there. I think that's a really important point. And I suppose, yeah, absolutely. Getting that full cross-functional team on board, whether it's just, you know, your colleagues that work for your organisational partners in there as well, that's the right way to go to build that team. You know, a classic servant-master type relationship with the partner isn't going to get that same buy-in and that same understanding, right? If that partner is only looking at a tiny little bit of the puzzle, it doesn't allow that expansive thinking, which we can clearly see in Omnichannel is so important to be able to bleed across all of these different channel boundaries, shall we say. Yeah. And I think in most businesses, and this is this is one of the things I enjoy the most, most businesses, when you start to interact, there is in most departments a sort of polymer who knows everything. <laughs> a lot of the time, and sometimes because that person is so in the detail, and it's quite team-led, mm. they reference this person, but having that person right in the centre of it like, really does help. So whether it's that person that holds all the knowledge about, you know, most retailers have a element of legacy system somewhere that they're on a journey of, you know, upgrading. And really, although you might be changing that system, either the person who's dealing with that day-to-day or the sales associate who have, you know, really tailored their technical process each day, really understanding the benefit that the tech gives them allows you to make sure you don't lose any of that because the worst thing that can happen is it's done in a siloed team and then they say, oh, you should have spoken to Dave because he knew this happened or it then goes out onto the shop floor and they say, well, I've I've lost, you know, 20% of the functionality that actually you didn't realise really made a difference to their day. I think that's fascinating. Fascinating. And yeah, I'm sure we can all reflect on those individuals that, that are the, the know-it-alls. Maybe, maybe you listening are one of those people. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it is an important factor, though, in how you, you best bring that, that individual in that has this sort of rich knowledge. But also, I would suggest challenge that person as well in terms of adding new ideas, adding yeah. new thinking, mm. rather than just letting their personal vision be be the end goal I suppose. Sarah I'd love to ask you you touched on legacy systems just a moment ago and a few minutes ago you also used the term orchestration layer which is which is a fascinating thing. How does as we're starting to think about omnichannel how do we begin to work with inevitably these legacy systems data silos the sort of the fragile nature of business critical systems how do you how do you fit into all of that? Mm. I think if you were going to put a warning sign on it, I think 
Oh, and I think most people know this, but sometimes, you know, you get a new team started. I think you have to break it down. You can't rip everything out in one go. And I think a lot of legacy systems, because they're legacy systems, you know, just like the polymath, have a lot of knowledge, but it's how do you take that and improve it? How do you like transform what you're doing? Mm. What I see work most successfully is when it's broken into sort of phases and mm-hmm. um, really that analysis of risk, trying to break what you're doing, making sure everyone's really clear on the why again. And I think, I, I don't think you ever eliminate silos, but have that aim to whether it's via, you know, a standard mechanism of a stakeholder group but really make sure that communication flow is is happening. And I think the orchestration is is key with partners. So again, it comes back to you're not the only partner in the room. And and, and sometimes you do end up being that, like taking the lead because you naturally believe in that flow of communication and client is quite happy for you to do that. But I think like information is key in that element. So making sure everyone's clear on the mission making sure there's an idea of, of what's going to happen and really taking that risk assessment on that we've got a, we've got we've got a big job to do here if if we're talking real transformation so what are the what's the low hanging fruit what can we remove without too much friction mm. you know there there's some of the common sense elements about where are you in your contract and what can you trial at the same time as running something else so i think it can be quite overwhelming and I think chunking it down into different elements that you can start to pick off mm. seems to be like the route that I've seen most success most recently because yes, you, you can end up eventually with this just one system from a legacy point of view, but I think if you've done it in the right order and who's to say what the right order is, but if you've done it in the right order, you should minimize the risk as you go along in terms mm. of that happening. So getting into sort of classic program management, really, in terms of, you know, here's our, our bigger goal. How am I chunking that up into smaller individual projects yeah. that can then be tackled in the right order, perhaps concurrently, perhaps in a, a more linear fashion, depending on on the setup, on the wider environment as well that is going on around a transformation. Yeah. And I think sometimes it is more than just a a want. There's a need around the technology. So Mm. when working with a client recently, they had been using the scanning devices installed. They've been using the device for, you know, 10 plus years. And actually there, there was an element of it being sunset. So they just didn't have a choice. So you might say, oh, this is not our priority right now, but Technology also catches up with you sometimes. So yeah. I think that probably wasn't the like sexiest part to tackle first, but it were, it was important in the day-to-day, you know, stock control of the business. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, I'm sure we can all reflect on those times where we've had older systems creaking at the seams yes. and everyone's thinking, don't break. Yeah. <laughs> can cross moment. Yeah. yeah. Sarah, how does Red Ant fit into all of this as we're starting to think about omnichannel journeys? So we often interact with people on the first basis with clientele. We work with a number of different retailers across key verticals. So home and furniture, beauty, luxury, and apparel. And where we really bring everything together in terms of the omnichannel journey is 
bringing the data from different partners, whoever that will be, and creating a hub of information for the store associate. So that's why we sort of call it an orchestration layer because we're bringing in stock, payment, in like joining that up with e-commerce from the customer point of view. And our aim really is to be, whether that's on uh, an iPhone or an iPad or an Android device, to, to really be that companion to the sales associate so that you're not using multiple pieces of paper, multiple systems to do your daily tasks so that you can really walk around with everything you need in your pocket as such. And the biggest success we've seen is where we're truly sometimes, you know, for all the reasons we just said about systems, sometimes, you know, the transaction like data isn't ready and that does have to happen somewhere else. Mm. But the most successful examples of that, of where you can map those journeys we were talking about previously from start to finish. And they, you know, they're using that data to generate inbound sales and right to the end where they can see at the end of the week, all that attribution and that dashboard of how successful they've been. So yeah, you've got that proper management information to be able to, well, manage, right? Everything from having coaching opportunities through to having those those moments to celebrate success, identify changes that you could shift up and continually improve the business. So it's a, a starting point, I suppose, rather than an end point. Yeah, exactly. And I think as you get deeper into necessarily what's needed, so not relevant for some of the larger ticket items we're talking about, but with some of our clients, the need for a runner app, that experience of, you know, wanting to try on two pairs of trainers and the person disappears. Actually, the, the research we did around the customer thinking, I'm not going to wait any longer, that ability to have that app and the person running back and forth seems, you know, it seems so simple when you say it, but actually the, the sales that were saved by rolling that out like made a real difference so i think mm. it, it's 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 really almost if you're going to turn it on its head it's identifying the pain points putting simple digital based solutions in to make it easier yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense sarah this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation and i know there are so many more avenues that we could dive into but if someone is wanting to find out more about red ant and about you where should they go what should they do very good question. So we have a range of different case studies that are available and one quite easy to find on LinkedIn. One of the perks of having a difficult surname. So please get in contact with me on LinkedIn. We have further information, data sheets on our website, www.redant.com. And I think you will find from any of the interactions with any of the team they're just pleased to talk to customers and really understand what's happening out there right now. Perfect. Well, Sarah Friswell, thank you so much for joining me here on the Retail Transformation Show. It's been a real blast and I can't wait to catch up with you again soon. Thank you, Ollie. Great to speak to you today. So a great conversation with Sarah Friswell from Red Ant there. And as we were talking about in the conversation, we touched on the Furniture Village example. And I do encourage you to head over to the show notes at obandco.uk slash 173, where you can discover a little bit more about the Red Ant solutions in a video featuring yours truly. 
and you can dive even deeper on Red Ant's website. I'll put the link on the show notes, but you can head to redant.com in the meantime. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you will know that I always like to give you a few extra episodes to go and check out after listening to this one. And I've got three great episodes for you to listen to today. First up, I mentioned it in the conversation, episode 171 with Howard Tierski, as we discovered how to let avatars guide your transformation. Some great parallels to this conversation, so do check that one out. Next up, have a bit more of a scroll back through the archives to episode 126, number 126, for an episode called The Complexity of Omnichannel Retail, where I dive into this whole topic in much more detail to explain how does it get so complicated. And then finally, one of my favourite episodes, actually, episode 72 featuring Lee Woodard, which was about being digital versus doing digital. And I chose that episode because some of the points that Sarah was making about you don't have to do everything really reminded me of that conversation there with Lee. So check out episode 72 if you haven't already done so. And of course, there is a rich archive of past episodes, so do feel free to browse and add to the playlist. You'll have a fantastic time. Go binging. (laughs) But if you are also new to this episode, I encourage you wholeheartedly to hit that subscribe button in your favourite podcast app where you can check out new episodes every single week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember to head over to the show notes at obandco.uk slash 173 and I will look forward to joining you in another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now.